You're listening to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. This last month or so, we have been focused on the Innocence Project of Florida. They are sponsoring this podcast, underwriting it. And IPF is 20 years old this year. So in order to celebrate, we have had several different guests on. We opened with Seth Miller, who is our executive director. And we just heard from two people that um, Innocence Project of Florida were able to secure their freedom. Uh, Dean McKee, who spent 30 years in prison from the age of 16, and Stephanie Spurgeon, who spent eight and a half years in prison. They told their stories, and I encourage my listeners to go back and listen to uh, the beginning with Seth opening it up for us. And today, to close out our month of uh, podcasts about the project, we have Seth back with us again. So welcome, Seth Miller. Thanks, Harriet. Thrilled to be back again. Good, good. All right. So as I said, we are trying to highlight um, the uh, project, the Innocence Project of Florida after 20 years. Um, what are the highlights personally for you that you would like to share? So I've been at the project since its inception. I had a little bit of hiatus where I, I left, but I've been here for most of the 20 years and there's so many amazing moments. It's hard to um, you know, choose a, a few highlights. But I think for me personally, the things that are most fulfilling are when we win the toughest cases. Um, mm. and, I, and we heard from Dean McKee um, and, you know, I tell, I've told him this to, and to be completely candid, his is not a case that I thought we would ultimately win, even though I thought we should win. It was a very hard case, as he told us, um, you know, he was there the night that, you know, his brother murdered um, the poor victim in that case. And, you know, using the DNA to demonstrate that he was framed was a, a little bit of a, a needle to thread. Um, and yet, we were able to accomplish it after a number of years of hard fought litigation. And so when we got that order overturning his conviction, it was like a, a vindication of both our ability to pick cases and our ability to, to, to be persuasive and convince a court, um, even in the toughest cases. And, you know, we had an African-American judge, you know, fe African-American female judge in that case, overturning the conviction of uh, a former, you know, skinhead represented by a Jewish lawyer, you know, and who had, who had a black, um, you know, uh, parole specialist working on his parole piece. It was, um, you know, a case that I think is, uh, you know, really emblematic of the, of the redemption that, that is uh, central to all the work that we do. I think too, you know, one of the things that I've always loved is seeing our clients be able to fulfill dreams um, that, you know, they've always had for themselves that they never thought were possible because of the wrongful incarceration. And, you know, to see someone like James Bain, who we exonerated in 2009, be able to uh, have a family of his own. Um, and his son was born six months before my son. And, you oh, know, really? they have, they've, yeah, they've spent time together, <laughs> you know, and we would be around at a conference watching our kids play in the pool together. And it's a, it's, it's mind bending, you know, it's to think about how if things were a little bit different, like these, you know, 
his son wouldn't exist and our kids wouldn't be able to play together, but here they are, right? And so um, it's sort of, again, emblematic of how the work that we do gives people new life. That's incredible. I, I have to mention, because it, it always warms my heart to hear his name, that Jamie, I know he likes to be called James now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jamie, to me, uh, where he will always be Jamie, was the reason that I became involved with the project, because on the front page of the Sarasota Herald Tribune was a picture of you and Jamie, and I think was it Melissa um, yeah. on the other yeah. side of him coming out of prison? Um, those listeners that don't know this, cause they maybe haven't heard me say it, but he was in prison for 35 years for a crime he had not committed. And I, I had never known anything like this. And it, it so moved me um, that I called the project and asked what I could do, but I lived, very far away but jamie is the reason that i got involved so he will always be very close to my heart yeah what a what an amazing case so what what other highlights or cases um stand out for you as you look back over 20 years yeah i, I look at um you know amanda brumfield and stephanie spurgeon's cases i know that you've spoken with both of them you know on, on podcasts previously it, those cases are incredibly important to me, not only because they're incredible people, they were mothers, um, you know, caretakers, nurturers who were ripped away from their own families because of faulty medical conclusions and overzealous uh, doctors who jumped to conclusions, didn't treat the patients appropriately, the, these children who were injured and eventually died, and instead, you know, jumped to a conclusion of abuse and, you know, took away these people who anyone would say they were sort of average, you know, parents in society. The thing that's most important about those cases is really twofold for me is that they were our first female clients who were, you know, wrongfully convicted that we were able to overturn their wrongful convictions. And that was a, a milestone for us because naturally, you know, men, commit violent crimes or are accused of violent crimes in greater proportion to women and and women hold a unique um, place uh, in the annals of those who have been wrongfully convicted. And they're largely in these cases where um, a child dies who's in their care and they are blamed for it. And so um, demonstrating this is not just a, a problem among men, uh, you know, the phenomenon of wrongful convictions, I think was really important, but also um, you know, those cases were really hard. Um, it, you know, they're really complex, um, you know, deal with things that we as lawyers are not necessarily trained um, to know about intuitively and require a lot of learning and a lot of, um, you know, just figuring out the, the complexities of these uh, technical medical cases. And we did it. And, and so what it gave us was a base of knowledge where we can now find cases like those and feel confident that we could give high quality legal assistance to the next, you know, Amanda Brumfields or Stephanie Spurgeon. So it really opened up the door uh, to us to, to take on new and different types of cases that are, that are just as important as um, others that we were doing. Why in, in the history of the project um, were there so few women that came up for you? 
Yeah, I mean, we've obviously always had women write to us asking for assistance. Oh, you did? Um, I, yeah, I think, you know, back when we first started up until about 2012, we were only doing post-conviction DNA cases, cases where we could test some evidence that was available in the case to demonstrate that our client wasn't the perpetrator. But women don't find themselves in, in uh, with a great frequency as uh, can, you know, people who are convicted for the types of violent crimes that lend themselves to DNA testing. In fact, they find themselves wrongfully convicted for these types of crimes where they're a caretaker and um, of, of a child and that child dies and they're the last one who had you know care and custody of that child so they get blamed for it. And it's they're not issues of who committed a crime, but whether a crime happened. They're not, they don't lend themselves to DNA testing. And so it required us to expand um, our repertoire of what we, what we would do, spend hundreds of hours with doctors and other experts learning about the, this field, reading research, medical research, um, talking to our colleagues around the country who have done these types of cases to make sure that if we took one on, that we would provide the person with the same high quality assistance that we want to provide in every case. And so for us, it was a, you know, a milestone in the sense it was a vindication of our ability to expand our reach and do those types of cases, which frankly are far more complex and more difficult than a lot of other cases that um, you know, we're doing um, where men are convicted of you know, rapes or murders. When, when you say um, experts in, in their field, medical experts, or really any expert, um, when you bring in someone that is an expert in his or her field, um, is that costly? Yeah, it's extremely costly. Um, we are, you know, we provide all of our assistance to our clients pro bono. Um, and that includes, you know, the, you know, investigation in the cases and provision of experts. Now, I will say that um, many of the folks that we would hire care deeply about treating, like for example, in the in Stephanie Spurgeon's case, the doctors were felt it was their ethical and moral responsibility to explain to the court how they got this wrong. Okay. And 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 you know how the doctors got it wrong in the first place. And so they didn't look at the case as a way to make a ton of money. Um, and so they, you know, didn't charge us the hourly fee and just charges for their expenses. But, you know, these doctors or other experts can cost three or $400 an hour mm -hmm. and, and someone has to pay for that. So we have to raise a lot of money in order to make sure we have that money in place because we don't want to suffer from the same uh, deficiencies that might've existed at the person's trial where they might've needed a public defender or another type of, um, you know, uh, publicly funded counsel and didn't have access to those resources and therefore didn't bring them to bear at the trial, which led to their wrongful conviction. We want to really bring everything that we can to bear um, to demonstrate that the person was wrongfully convicted. Right. Um, were there cases, you, you've kind of alluded to this, but were there cases that presented, say, a very great challenge and which ones would they be other than the ones you've already mentioned? So, I mean, obviously every case is difficult, but what I would say is in, in terms of the things that are challenging for me and the staff, maybe most personally are those cases where we put years of work into a case, we feel, um, uh, you know, an abiding conviction that our client is innocent and we have the evidence to prove it, but that the courts are not 
a, a place where we find the vindication, right? That they just don't see it um, the way that we see it. Um, or even worse, they rely on things that have nothing to do with the merits, like erecting procedural hurdles that allow them to avoid getting to the merits of the case and just dismiss it. Um, and those, I think, are the most disturbing. Um, and they stick to you because, right, I have to talk to a client or my staff has to talk to a client who's been a client for five or six or seven years uh, who has come to depend on us and their family has come to depend on us. And we have now exhausted all of our opportunities to vindicate them. And they ask us, does that mean I'm going to die here in prison? And I don't have a necessarily good answer for them. You know, if I'm, if I'm being most honest, you know, and I, you know, I will say to them, um, I'll say to them that, you know, absent something new and different coming about that we don't yet know about, and you're on a natural life sentence, you're going to serve the rest of your sentence in here. And that is a disturbing thing for someone to hear. It's a disturbing thing to talk about. And I think one thing we don't talk about enough is, is the impact that that has on the people who do this work. You know, me, other people in my office, when we talk about our project and about how doing that over and over again can really stick with you um, and affect your mental health. So we really try here to, you know, give people access to resources to maintain their mental health because it requires to be, you know, you be healthy in every respect in order to continue to do this work for the long term because it's not easy and it can hurt you. No, it's certainly not easy. Um, even though many um, exonerations took place uh, lots of years ago, do you personally um, keep in touch with the men and women uh, that you helped free from prison? Uh, yeah, we, we absolutely do. I mean, obviously, when some, we've had a couple of clients who um, we've got them out, talked to them a few times, and they've decided that they want to move on with their life and leave that entire chapter of their life behind, including, uh, including us, which is their prerogative, right? Um, they're free people in America and can, can live their life as they choose. And that's the, the, the beauty of having your liberty and being free. Um, but for most of our clients, um, they need a tremendous amount of help, uh, you, you know, from any of them who have been in for decades. Um, the world that they come out to is way different than the one um, uh, that existed when they're wrongfully convicted and wrongfully incarcerated. So that's kind of where our social services program comes in. And I, I mentioned on previous podcasts that um, Anthony Scott, who started the same day as I did in 2006, has been our longtime uh, social worker uh, and directs all of our tra transitional assistance work. He's amazing and, um, you know, is really a lifeline for all of our clients and all of their transitional needs. And this isn't just like, oh, well, the client gets out and then a year from now, everything's perfect. Some clients don't need a lot of assistance. Some clients need tons of assistance and everything you could possibly think of. And we have a program that um, helps them in every aspect of their life to try to create and maintain maximum stability, which is essential for people to find happiness and, and really and, you know, have maximum fulfillment in their freedom. And in the context of that, we are able, the people on staff, to maintain great relationships with our clients. Um, we talk to them on the phone. We see them all the time. They come to our events. They organize themselves to get together. 
um, amongst themselves. Um, many of them have become great friends. Uh, um, some of them were friends in prison and then found themselves exonerated, completely independent of each other, and then reconnected uh, in their freedom, which is amazing. And so it's it's really beautiful to see. Um, you know, I, I, I think about what it means in my life, you know, each one of these individuals, it's like we have now crossed paths in our lives. And you know, we obviously put uh, an imprint on their life, a stamp on their life, because we achieved something for them that gave them new life. But they they teach me and teach us so much and have put a stamp on our lives. And I think, you know, my dinner table at home is a place where I've had all my freed clients spend time with my family and treat them like their family. Um, and and they, I think about the impact that that's had on my family, my my child, my son, you know, who um, has grown up with all these, you know, pseudo aunts and uncles who come, <laughs> come around to um, and it's helped him, I think, contextualize what it means for someone to be in prison and not everyone is a monster. Um, and, and that, you know, average people go to prison, some rightfully, some wrongfully, but they're still human beings. And we need to you know, have empathy and compassion for all people. And it's a really great lesson to teach a child. And it's uh, it's right there for me to, to, to have it at my disposal that's, to that's help him grow up. So special. That's great. Um, Stephanie gave a very loud shout out to Anthony Scott. So she she said she could not have managed without him, and and that's that's fantastic. Um, how many? She she alluded to this, and and I know about this myself, but I'm not sure how many projects, innocence projects or innocence organizations in the country have a full time social worker. You know, Harriet, I don't know the exact number now. What I do know is that it's probably no more than like six to eight. And very um, few. And, and, you know, we were the first innocence organization in the entire country hmm. to have a full time social worker, even before the Innocence that. Project in New York. Um, hmm. We committed to this, and it just made sense, right? I mean, we, if our job as lawyers is to get people out of prison, like that's what we know how to do, but we don't. Well, we're not trained. This requires, you know, very specific, detailed training um, in and in, in education in order to know how to provide case management and clinical support to these individuals who are victims of um, incredible trauma um, and all and all different. And so, in order for us to be able to get on with the next cases we needed to have someone who was principally responsible to help our clients after we finish with their cases. And so I, so Jenny Greenberg, our, our founding executive director, I think had a ton of vision foresight to be able to commit to that. Um, and the Florida Bar Foundation for funding it at that time. And it's just become a core part of our, um, our, our operations. And we're in the process of expanding it. Cause frankly, Anthony is only as incredible as he is. He's only one person. Right. And the, the, the more success that we've had has just added to his roster of people that both in and out of prison that he needs to help. And um, it's frankly too much for one, maybe even two people. So we're looking to expand in that area so we can provide more support um, for our clients. Very much needed. Well, you mentioned something, a nice segue into my next question, which was, uh, what is your main source of funding and, and your budget? Uh, just to give people an idea. And then I, I definitely want you to talk about the big celebration coming up before we close. 
Yeah, so we we have, I'll start with the budget. We have about um, $1.2 million a year in expenses, which largely goes to um, modest salaries for the people that work here who spend you know, 2,400 hours a year doing the work, <laughs> uh, you know, programmatic work of the organization to find and free people and, and, you know, help them rebuild their lives. And um, about half of that we have to raise from individuals, either through event fundraising or annual giving or plan giving, that kind of thing. The other half is through grants. And the Florida Bar Foundation has been our biggest supporter um, for, you know, since 2005. And, um, we've got a number of federal government grants to the Department of Justice through the Justice for All Act, and um, which has been a real lifeline to innocence organizations who have been doing this work, large and small, over the course of years. And we've gotten, I think, six of those grants since 2009, and they've allowed us to cede positions in the office that, and then after two years of having the grant, we've been able to just kind of absorb, you know, that additional expense into our natural growth as an organization. And so... Um, and we've got lots of big and small grants uh, from you know, family foundations and the like. But um, as we you know, look to grow here in the future, in the next two or three years, um, and, and increase our capacity, it's going to require us to also increase our revenue in order to meet you know the increased capacity. We want to be able to do more work and get you know do more justice, get more people out, help more people rebuild their lives, and um, it's going to require us to raise a lot more money to do it. So what, in the little bit of time we have left, um, what do you see ahead in the next five years? And then I'd like you to tell us about the big birthday celebration in November. We are um, have just started um, on a strategic growth plan, the implementation of it, that's gonna expand all the programmatic areas of our office, um, legal staff, or intake staff, our, our lawyers, our extra investigator, another social worker, all the programmatic staff, it's going to double um, um, our staff and therefore, you know, probably double our capacity in order to do this work. And we're going to go from getting, you know, four or five people out of prison every year, which is a lot, to getting hopefully 10 to 12 people mm. out of prison every year. Um, you know, going to require us to move to a new office space that better suits um, our new size. Um, but it's really the next stage of the organization and that's where we're going um and everyone here is super excited about it because everyone's just super committed to just getting as much done as possible for our clients and 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 yeah so it's it's something that people are going to see um it's something that people can support um if they want we do need the support it's going to cost us about a million extra dollars a year when we're fully mm -hmm. built out in order to fund that additional capacity um, but we're going to do it. Uh, it took us a long time to get to the point where we're like, we can do this and now we're going to do it. Um, and it's going to really pay dividends for our clients. All right. So what, how are you celebrating the birthday of the project? Well, you know, you have to take time sometimes to just have a good time and right. take stock of where you've been and, 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 the, and the path that you've taken how to get to this point. And on Thursday, November 16th, uh, of this year in 2023 um, in Tampa, Florida at the Tampa River Center. It's a beautiful uh, new venue in Tampa. We're going to be having our what we're calling a birthday party, our, our 20th anniversary celebration. There's going to be great food and music and, you know, a light programmatic uh, portion, which highlights, um, you know, everything from our you know clients, case successes, 
uh, former staff, former interns, former board members, just kind of taking stock of all that has happened to get us to this point and give a little bit of preview on where we're going uh, over the next uh, years in the near term here. But we have a DJ, we're gonna have lots of food. It's gonna be a good time. And um, we, we want people to come and really enjoy themselves. We'll be releasing more information about that um, here soon. So people should look out for it on our website. Oh, on the web and the website is www.floridainnocence.org all spelled out all one word very good all right we have pretty much come to the end of our time and our celebration with you and uh, two of our clients it's been a great series of podcasts and i hope people will support the expansion of the innocence project of florida thank you seth so very much for spending time with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Harry, for everything you do. We love you. Thank you. We love you too. I love you too. <laughs> All right. And next time, quick, we have um, a very interesting uh, guest. Her name is Robin Ledbetter. Her story is incredible. Um, she is my adopted daughter in, in my heart. And uh, she'll be on with her legal team. She went to prison at 14 and did 25 years. Uh, she was guilty and uh, her story is amazing. So um, she, we'll see her next time on Pursuing Justice. And thank you for listening.